Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 14. And when he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. And he saith unto them, Are ye so without understanding also? Do ye not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him? Because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into the draught, purging all meats. And he said, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. I want to ask you a question today, and I hope that you will honestly consider it with me. What is in your heart? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would open the eyes of our understanding this morning, that we may get a hold of the importance of the truth that our Savior laid out in these verses, that what is within us is far more important than what is on the outside, that our hearts would be pure that we would not be hypocrites just playing a part. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you like apples? Fair number of us. Maybe a few of you aren't particularly on Team Apple. Maybe you have another fruit you like better. But my personal opinion is is that a, a fresh apple is one of the best fruits there is. But have you ever had the very unpleasant experience of getting an apple that from the outside looked perfect, biting into it and finding out that the inside was rotten? Have you ever had that happen? Maybe you took a big bite out of it and you looked down and there was a worm in it. There's only one thing worse than finding a worm in your apple finding half a worm in your apple. (laughs) But we've all had that very unpleasant experience, whether with an apple or something else, where we looked at it and we thought, this is good. This is going to be great. But we got into it and we realized it was not what it appeared to be. In Mark chapter 7, In the verses that we've read this morning, Jesus is dealing with that very same issue about how what is on the inside is really what is most important. That the outside can appear to be good, but if the inside is defiled, then the whole is defiled. There are two sides to every one of us this morning. There's the inside and there's the outside. 
or to use Bible language, there's the inward man and there is the outward man. And each of us chooses which of these two sides will receive the majority of our focus and attention. Either we are going to focus on external things that other people can see and notice, or we're going to focus on internal things knowing that they might go unrecognized. But which one we make a priority will determine ultimately the direction of our entire lives. If we believe, for instance, that perception is more important than reality, then we are more focused on the outward. If we have a philosophy of life that if you fake it, you can make it, well, then the outward man is what is most important to us. If we do what we do to be seen of men, then it's the external things that are most important. And that's a problem. It's a problem because Jesus said in the passage that we've read today that what is in your heart is more important than what people see on the outside. Because what is in your heart is the real you and it determines what will ultimately come out of your life. Now, the religious people in Jesus' day were consumed with maintaining an appearance of godliness. But in reality, their heart was very far from God. We looked at the uh, first verses of this chapter last week, and we saw where Jesus there quoted that verse from Isaiah, where Isaiah told the Israelites that you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. You say that you love God, you say that you want to do right, you say that you want to worship the Lord, but that's not really what's in your heart. They're empty words, they're vain words, they're lying words. You see, the hearts of these religious leaders was evil because they were consumed with self. They were consumed with self-righteousness. It was all about them, it was all about the way other people perceived them, it was all about projecting that image of being a religious person, being an expert in the things of God. Their heart was evil and the result of that is inevitably an evil life. Now you couldn't find fault with the externals of the Pharisees really because they were meticulous about keeping their rules. Now in this chapter, Jesus is dealing specifically with this question of ritual hand washing because the Pharisees had come to Jesus and said, why don't your disciples wash before they eat as is the tradition of the elders? And Jesus in these earlier verses pointed out that they were violating the commands of God in order to keep the tradition of the elders and they had flip-flopped their whole religion, if you will, and turned it into a system of keeping man-made rules instead of honoring God from the heart. These Pharisees were meticulous about ensuring that nothing went into their mouth that would defile them, but they ignored the corruption that was in their heart. We need to be reminded this morning that the inward man is what is most important because that determines who we really are. We must be sure then that we keep our hearts clean. And when we do that, the rest of our lives will be pure. Notice with me, number one, the parable in this passage. Jesus, after having this encounter with the Pharisees, turns his attention to the crowd that was gathered there, and he says in verse 14, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. 
And what follows is just a brief statement, but really a very powerful one about the importance of what's on the inside. He said in verse 15, There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. Now again, in the context here, Jesus was addressing this question of keeping the tradition of washing hands. And we saw last week that Jesus was not advocating for us to neglect good hygiene. But what he was pointing out is that these Pharisees had misplaced priorities because they were prioritizing traditions and external things instead of heart obedience to the Word of God. And so moving from that, he addresses the crowd and he talks about what truly defiles a person. Now let's, let's talk for a moment, what does it mean to be defiled? In this particular context, what Jesus is talking about is the defilement according to the Old Testament law, whereby someone would be considered unclean and not fit to come and worship the Lord and offer sacrifices. So it's a ceremonial uncleanness. He's not talking about physical illness, and he's even not really talking about you know, physical contamination. What he's talking about is whether or not a person is fit to worship God. And what he says here is that things on the outside are really not what determine whether or not you are fit to worship God. Now, Jesus was not saying you can ingest whatever you want and it's okay. Now, I can, I can imagine that some people might then try to twist what Jesus is saying here to justify all kinds of, of things that, that God does not condone, all right? Like getting intoxicated or getting high on drugs or things like that. They could say, you know, it doesn't matter what you put in your body. Jesus said that doesn't fight. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Nor is he saying that you can eat whatever you want without consequences, all right? If you don't eat a, a healthy diet, there will be physical consequences of that. I think it's kind of funny sometimes um, that uh, you ever catch yourself asking the blessing for things and thinking, this may not be the best thing to ask the Lord to bless, you know. Lord, bless this ice cream sundae to the nourishment of my body. But he's not saying that we can just eat whatever we want without physical consequences either. He's also not saying at this point, he's not abolishing the Old Testament ceremonial laws, okay? He will ultimately fulfill the law in every regard, and so the ceremonial part of that ritual washing will eventually be done away with. But that's not even what he's saying yet at this point. What he's saying is simply this. True defilement was not physical, but spiritual. True defilement was not physical, but spiritual. Whether or not you are fit for worship is determined by what's in your heart. Now let me, let me take a moment to define terms. What do I mean by worship? This is something that is kind of confused in our culture because a lot of people associate worship with an experience. I went to a building full of a lot of people and there was a particular kind of music and it uh, elicited a certain emotional response in me and God was mentioned somewhere so I worshipped. That's not true worship. True worship is anything that we do 
to demonstrate how much God is worth to us. So think of it that way. The word worship, it's really worth-ship. It's when you demonstrate in some way how much God is worth to you. So when you sing a song of praise to the Lord, that's a form of worship. When you come and you listen to what the Word, ha- the, the word has to say to you, that's a form of worship. When we give, that's a form of worship. And really, our lives should be lives of worship. Worship should not be confined to a, a time slot in our schedule. Our life should be a life of worship. Everything that we do should demonstrate that God is valuable to us. But here's the thing. If there is sin in our heart, we are not demonstrating that God is valuable to us. We are discounting God's worth. We're saying God's not that important. That I, that I have to get rid of even the secret sin in my life. As long as I'm good on the outside, as long as I appear good to everybody else, then, then I must be okay. That's not a true spirit of worship. And thus, you are defiled in the truest sense. And so Jesus illustrates this with this contrast between what goes in your mouth versus what comes out of your mouth. All right, so the whole question in this passage here was the disciples eating with unwashed hands. And so there was this theory that because their hands weren't washed, defilement was going in. And Jesus said, no, that's not the case. It's not what you put in your mouth that defiles you. It's what comes out of it, specifically your words. But that's just kind of a placeholder for all the things that come out of our heart, as we'll see in just a moment. What comes out of your mouth and what comes out of your life originates in your heart. And your heart is what matters most because your heart is the real you. See, what is the issue? What the issue is here is what is the real you? And this external that other people see is merely an expression of the real you. It's not the real you. This physical body is one day going to cease to exist in its current form. It's only temporary. But there is a real part of you and me that is going to exist for all of eternity. The outward man perisheth, but not the inward man. There are a lot of people, though, who maintain an appearance of righteousness, even though their heart is full of wickedness. 2 Timothy 3.5, Paul talked about the false prophets. He said they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. The word form there has the idea of all the outward appearances of something. You know, when a false prophet shows up, they usually don't announce themselves as false prophet. They don't, usually don't show up and say, say, Hello, I'm Dr. Smith, and I'm here to teach you heresy. That's not usually how they do it. No, what did Jesus say? He said they're wolves in sheep's clothing. They have the outward appearance of being a follower of, God, of Christ and, and, and an outward appearance of being godly, but it's not real. It's not true. We can fake the outside. You cannot fake the inside. The Pharisees and the scribes and other religious leaders were very meticulous in how they kept the outward correct. 
In Matthew 23, Jesus said this about them. He said, "Ye blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. What is he talking about there? Well, according to the Old Testament law, there were certain creatures that were clean and you could eat them and certain other creatures that were unclean and you couldn't eat them. A lot of bugs fell into the category of unclean, don't eat them. Now, for me, I don't need that instruction. I don't go around eating bugs. I haven't done that since I was a kid, you know. But there was specific instructions in the Old Testament law about that. And so the Pharisees had a meticulous system to make sure that they did not ingest an unclean bug. Because see, sometimes they would be drinking a beverage and maybe a, maybe a little gnat flew into their cup while they weren't looking. And when they went to drink it, that little bug might have been in there. So there's what they would do. They tell us that they would, they would take a sip and they would swish it around in their mouth in between their teeth to filter out any of the little gnats that may have gotten in there. And then they would, you know, pick their teeth to get all any of the little... I know that's gross, right? It's Father's Day. I'd, give me a little liberty here, all right? But that's what they do. So when, when Jesus said strain at a gnat, we're not talking about strain as in trying to carry it, but it's straining the gnat out so you didn't accidentally ingest it. He said, you will go through such great lengths to avoid a gnat, but you swallow a camel. Now, a camel was also considered an unclean animal. And it's one of those things that you might accidentally swallow a gnat. You're not going to accidentally swallow a camel. And, and what Jesus was pointing out here is that they were, they were majoring on the minors, they were focusing on the inconsequential, but they were ignoring the most important matters, the matters of the heart. And he, he says in verse 16 there, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. That's just a way of saying, uh, if you hear me, you better listen. If you can hear me, you better pay attention. This was the parable that Jesus told. But notice with me from verses 17 and 18, the puzzling, the puzzling. It says, When he was entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. He saith unto them, Are you so without understanding also? So they left the crowd. They go into more private setting in a particular house. And when they get there, his disciples were like, Jesus, what did you mean by that parable? Now I find this funny in a way because when I read verse number 15 it seems pretty clear I mean what Jesus is saying is pretty direct there's not really any mystery to it in my opinion so it's kind of funny to me the disciples were like what do you mean by that and, I, and I'm glad that Jesus came and lived on earth and we get to read conversations like this because I know what I would have said to these guys I would have said, I meant what I said. But Jesus is more gracious than me. <laughs> so he went on to explain a little further. But not before he asked them in verse 18, Are you so without understanding also? This was not just the common crowd. These were his closest friends and the people that he was training that had been with him for a while. And, and there's a certain sense here in which a mild rebuke is given by Jesus. says, you should understand this by now, kind of an idea. So why didn't they get it? Maybe they were used to Jesus' teaching being more mysterious, and so they assumed there was some other kind of double meaning behind it. But actually what I think is more likely, 
is that the idea itself of the inside being more important than the outside was so radical that they had a hard time believing it. To this day, Judaism emphasizes behavior over attitude, as do most false religions and secular humanism for sure. It's all external. It's all about behavior. We don't care what you're thinking. We don't care how you're feeling. We don't care what your attitude is. As long as you can act right within this certain set of bounds that we arbitrarily set up, that's fine. It's all performance-driven. And that was what the disciples were used to. That's what they'd been raised on. That's what they thought was the right way to live. And so when they heard Jesus say, what goes in your mouth doesn't defile you, but what comes out does defile you, they were like, what? Really? And so there was a certain amount of, of puzzling here. I think this is a good reminder to us that we need to recognize our sinful bias to focus on external things while ignoring the heart. Every one of us has that tendency. Every one of us wants to focus on the outside and whether intentional or not, the tendency is to ignore the inside. You all probably know the verse from 1 Samuel 16 that says, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Now I know when I was a teenager, that verse was used by a lot of Christian young people who wanted to do whatever they wanted to do, particularly when it came to their appearances. They wanted to dress like, look like, sound like, act like the world. And they would justify it by saying, well, man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. I know when, uh, when I was a teenager, the gothic movement was big, you know. Maybe coming back around. I'm getting pretty old these days. I don't know, you know. And so you'd have Christian young people who would be, you know, dressing all in black in the white makeup and darkening their eyes and getting all the piercings and all of those different things and identifying with a certain group of people that were explicitly anti-God. But they would justify it by saying, well, God looks on my heart. You know, God never intended for verses like 1 Samuel 16, 7 to be used as an excuse to dress however we want, to act however we want, to say whatever we want, to live however we want, and then excuse it by saying, well, my heart's right. No, Jesus pointed out that if your heart is right, then the outside will be right too. The point of 1 Samuel 16, 7 is to point out that the heart is more important. God looks on the heart. Again, Jesus, in warning about the false prophets, He said they come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. What's on the inside is what is most important. You're really not going to get that from the world because the world is performance-driven. They are consumed by the perceivable, visible achievements. That's what the world lives for. Let me say, God is very much concerned about results in our life as well. But He's more concerned about our hearts. Because if our hearts are right, 
then our behavior will be right and the results will be right. So the disciples said, what did you mean by that? Notice with me, number three, then the point. The point of the parable. The rest of verse 18, he says, Do ye not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him? So he's basically restated it here. But he goes on, verse 19, But it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly. There's a distinction here. Jesus is not talking about two internal organs. He's talking about one set of internal, internal organs, being our belly, made up of our stomach, intestines, and all of that stuff, our guts, and our true heart, which is not the organ that pumps blood, but it's the real you. It's the mind, the will, and the emotions. It's the soul. It's the real you. And when you eat something, that doesn't go into your soul. It goes into your belly. It's digested. It goes through your body and the natural processes occur. And that's all I'll say about that. And Jesus said, that's not what really defiles you. Because he goes on in verse number 20. That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts. And so on. Jesus is saying what you eat affects you physically, but the physical is not what matters most. What comes out of you originates in the heart, the real you, and that's what defiles, that is what renders you unfit for worship. So what's the answer? Some people immediately will jump to this conclusion. They will say, well, I just need to keep it bottled up then. The thoughts that I have, the feelings that I have, I just need to keep them inside. If it's letting, letting those things out is the problem, I'll just keep them in. I won't let them out. That's not what Jesus is saying. Because that doesn't address the real issue. The defilement is still in the heart. When he talks about it coming out of the mouth being the issue, in the context here, remember he's talking about this idea of being ceremonially unclean. In other words, you are made, it's made known to everyone else that you are unclean. But the uncleanness doesn't come from the act of it coming out. The uncleanness comes from what's on the inside. So the answer is not just to bottle it up and keep it on the inside. If you do that, it's just going to fester. It's just going to continue to grow worse and worse and worse if you don't deal with the real issue. You're defiled because of what is on the inside, but that becomes publicly known when you say it or you act it out. So what's the answer? The answer is to wash the inside. Now we need to recognize that our hearts tend toward sinful desires and beliefs. That's the trend of our natural man. Not towards God, toward sin, wrong desires, doubt and unbelief. That's our natural tendency because we were born in sin. 
Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And to help us understand just how much evil is in our heart, Jesus gives us a pretty exhaustive list here. Look in this text at the kinds of things that He says comes out of our heart. Evil thoughts. Adulteries. Fornications. Murders. Thefts. Covetousness. Wickedness. Deceit. Lasciviousness. An evil eye. Blasphemy, pride, foolishness. You know what Jesus just described? Your heart and mine. Your heart and mine, if not sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is the natural tendency of our hearts. That is the desperate wickedness that Jeremiah 17.9 is talking about. That's what every sinner is capable of. And honestly, kind of feels like reading the evening news. Because we see it all around us in our world today. We see the results, not just of wicked actions, but we see the results of wicked hearts. Wicked hearts that are not cleansed by the blood of Christ. You see, every action is first considered in a heart that is corrupted by sin. Before it's ever acted out, before there's ever any bad behavior, there is a heart problem, a heart issue. And may I say, this is true even of Christians. Just because you are saved, that doesn't mean you are now sinlessly perfect. It does not work that way. You've been forgiven. In the eyes of God, you have been declared righteous, not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ did for you. And the Christian life is about bringing our behavior in line with who God says we are in Christ. Christ-likeness is what that is. It's progressive sanctification where we move from one level of sanctification to a higher level on a regular basis. But as we go through that process, we are still living in a body that is cursed by sin, in a world that is cursed by sin, and we still have lusts within us that Satan uses to draw us away and to tempt us to sin. And we must recognize the desperate wickedness of our sinful hearts. Because until we are glorified with Christ, we are going to have to keep a close watch on our hearts. Proverbs 4.23, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The word keep means to guard. Guard your heart. Guard your heart against evil influences. Guard your heart against its, its tendency to, to desire and to believe things that are opposed to the things of God. The Pharisees were meticulous about not letting unclean things in their mouths, but they failed to guard their hearts against evil influences. 
They indulged self-righteous, arrogant behavior. And the result was a heart full of wicked desires and ungodly beliefs. Turn to James chapter 4 with me for a moment. Some studying I've been doing recently, I came across a, a chapter of a book where the author went to great lengths to explain how the wrong desires of our heart lead to all kind of disappointment and conflict in life. I want you to look with me here at James chapter 4, how God describes a life that is controlled by wrong desires. James chapter 4, verse 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Where do the wars come from? Where does all the fights come from? Where's all this conflict and frustration coming from? He says, come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members. What are lusts? They're ungodly desires. It's when your heart wants something that God says is wrong. Verse 2, ye lust and have not. That's frustration because you're unfulfilled. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think the Scripture saith in vain, the Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? That's our heart in its natural state. It lusts to envy. And all of the conflict that we experience in life and all of the frustrations and disappointments, the wars and the, the killings and the, uh, and the endless turmoil, all can be traced back to a heart of sin that does not desire what God wants. And so wrong desires in the heart inevitably lead to a life of conflict and disappointment. And wrong beliefs in the heart inevitably lead to confusion and spiritual blindness. Hebrews 3.12 says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. It's what's on the inside that's most important. So I want to ask you today, what is most important to you? Is it more important that other people think you're saved or that you are actually saved from your sins? Is it more important that you appear to have your act together or that you actually have peace and the joy of the Lord in your heart? Is it more important that you avoid the painful consequences of sin only for selfish reasons or that you truly honor the Lord? in the way that you live. What is in your heart today? You need to be honest with God and yourself. Jeremiah 17.10 goes on to say, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins 
to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. God knows what's in your heart. But are you willing to be honest about it? And if your heart is not right, you need to get it right with God today. Because what's on the inside is most important. It's Father's Day today, so I want to share a closing illustration. It's really based out of very frustrating experience that I have as a dad. Many of you know I like to drink coffee. I'm not an addict. I just enjoy it, okay? And I have a, I have a few coffee cups that I use on a regular basis. I have some travel mugs that I use on a regular basis. And a long time ago, my family will tell you this. I asked them to stop washing my coffee cups. Because inevitably, they would go to wash my coffee cup and I'm not judging their motives. They were being sweet. They were being kind. They were, they were trying to serve. I mean, I appreciate that. And I would get my coffee cup the next time, and I would fill it up with coffee, and I'd take a drink anticipating a delicious sip of hot, fresh coffee. But instead, what I would get is a mouthful of brown liquid that tasted like dish soap. I know I'm getting old because I'm having this rant right now. <laughs> I remember my, my grandfather. We'd go visit them, and he would have a styrofoam cup sitting in the kitchen on the counter, and the inside of it would be almost totally black. That was his coffee cup. You didn't dare wash that coffee cup. You didn't throw it away either. He'd keep that thing for weeks. It would get so seasoned, he could just pour hot water in it, and he'd have fresh coffee. When I was a kid, I thought, ugh, that's gross. I get it now. I get it. So here's the thing. I got that coffee cup thinking, it's clean. I even looked on the inside. There was nothing growing. It must be clean. But even with that careful inspection, there was something I couldn't see that affected the ultimate outcome, and it was not very pleasurable. You say, well, you're just being dramatic. Yeah, maybe a little bit. But here's the thing. That's what our life is like. So many times we're consumed with what does it look like? And as long as it looks good, it must be good. But Jesus said no. It's not enough just to have an appearance of holiness, an appearance of righteousness, and an appearance of worship. Your heart must be right. James 4.8 says, Draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. With heads bowed and eyes closed, you know it is easy for all of us any of us really, to fall into the trap of thinking as long as I keep up the appearance, I'm good. Everything's okay. As long as I don't give people a reason to call me out, as long as I don't, you know, behave in such a way that would be openly and outwardly rebellious, I'm all right.
It's easy to think that way, but it's not the truth. Because if your heart is not right, then you are not right. Because the heart is the real you. And I don't know what's in your heart this morning. But God does. And you do. If you'll be honest with the Lord, God will reveal to you if there's something in your heart that isn't right. And the question then is, what will you do with it? Will you purify your heart? Or will you go on trying to keep up appearances? Wearing a mask and living the life of a hypocrite?